Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Matt Harmon and I am so excited today to be joined by my good friend. And I can say my good friend, because this guy ships me beer occasionally. And that is the mark of good friendship, everybody. Chris Allen, contributor at 4 for 4, Number Fire, and NBC Sports Edge. I mean, Chris, did I miss anything there in your illustrious resume? And how are things going? Uh, I'm doing great. And you did miss one. Uh, It's actually one of your old stomping grounds, football guys. Yeah, I get to hang out with our mutual friends, Sigmund Bloom, Joe Bryant, Cecil Lamb, and the rest of those guys almost on a weekly basis. But yeah, it's been absolutely great. I mean, this off season, if not for all of the, I guess, wait, like the draft itself, but like waiting for news, seeing like best ball, uh, best ball, like really start to pick up in terms of one of the like biggest things we get to talk about from a strategy perspective. So that's some of my research over at 444 is on that. So go check that out if you ever get a chance. But otherwise, man, I'm excited for you, dude. I mean, reception, perception, <laughs> completely finding it's like its own home like this year. I'm so excited for you, man. I've been checking out some of the profiles and everything that you and James Coe like have been I'm working on over there. So it's just been this this offseason just been excellent for both of us, clearly. Yeah, things have been good. I'm I'm glad to see you in so many places that are, I mean, awesome spots. Four for four football guys, number fire, NBC Sports Edge, like the staple of fantasy football. Like that's all those sites. That's all yeah. those sites, yeah. man. You got a few, you know, you got a few more to add to your resume, but uh, you're doing great, Chris. I'm happy to see it after connecting with you over the years. But, you know, talk about like best ball season, all these off-season, you know, talking points. Chris, we have actual training camp to talk about. We have actual mm-hmm. like uh, you know, clips to overanalyze. You know, I saw Rashad Bateman running a slant route against Air and I mean, I'll be honest with you, man. That hyped me up. I was excited. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm with you there. And uh, actually, Bateman was one of the guys that I had noted like shortly after the draft. It was when the Ravens selected Bateman, it was like him and Tylen Wallace, like almost uh, like not necessarily back to back, but like the idea of them drafting two wide receivers after last season. And what we think of Lamar Jackson as a passer, it's just like the two didn't line up. But actually taking some of the notes from your uh, from your analysis, looking at where both Tylen Wallace and Rashad Bateman, where they went on the field, it actually matches just absolutely perfectly with what Lamar Jackson needs as a passer. Like we're not necessarily going to think of Lamar Jackson as taking that leap that we watched Josh Allen do like this past year. But at the very right. least, if we can see him be a more efficient passer, that's exactly what Bateman and Wallace to a degree offer him because looking at 
some of the reception perception work that you've done, some of the like the areas where Bateman wins on those out routes, on those dig routes, on those timing routes, where uh, historically Lamar Jackson has been the most inefficient as a passer, looking at their EPA per play uh, over the past couple of seasons for Lamar Jackson. So it just it lines up perfectly in just thinking about the Ravens organization as a whole, how smart they've been in terms of making some of those draft selections. To me, it just looks like this is another way for them to build around Lamar Jackson and just say that, hey, we're not going to put all the pressure on you because we don't want to see another uh, playoff game where he's basically running around like, you know, like he's got his hair on fire trying to like pull the Ravens into another win. So I'm excited to see what Bateman can bring along with Sammy Watkins and all the rest of those guys, because you know, it has to be better than the, I mean, than the jabronis that he was passing to in the past couple of years right i mean it was willie sneed des bryant i mean it, this is how des a bryant situation. i mean i mean right. they dragged des bryant off the literal scrap yeah. heap and he was like playing playing <laughs> legit uh playing legit snaps for this team yeah pretty, exactly. pretty hilarious like that's yeah. unbelievable i'm glad you like launched right into the whole bateman thing too because i was going to bring up lamar you know he misses the start of training camp COVID related issues the whole thing but i'm with you like i just finished doing my last round of projections and i don't want to get like you know too far over my shoes with a rookie wide receiver but I really think that Bateman could be kind of like a transformative figure for the Ravens here you know I think that it's similar in a way like Bateman is not this level of prospect and probably won't have this level of an effect but I remember the all out freak out about Christian McCaffrey going to the Carolina Panthers and like Cam Newton is a mobile quarterback. Cam Newton has never right. thrown to his running backs. So Cam Newton's not a 60% passer. It's like, well, I mean, they've never had a player like this in Carolina was, was Chris McCaffrey at the time. Like he was going to have that same sort of transformative effect where you think Cam Newton can't like just figure it out, like how to throw to a damn running back. Like give me a break. Right. Number one. Yeah. I mean, we don't need to rehash that whole debate, but obviously like McCaffrey immediately became a receiving threat, immediately boosted Cam Newton's completion percentage, which was just easy to see coming by a mile away. Um, and I think that Bateman could have that same sort of transformative effect in that. Like the Ravens have never had a receiver like this. My comparison for Bateman was right along that kind of like Keenan Allen, Justin Jefferson line, like oh, yeah. great on in-breaking routes, those digs that you mentioned earlier, you know, crossers, curls, all that type of stuff. You know, I like Marquise Brown as a player, but he's more of a vertical receiver. Um, Sammy Watkins, actually, I think, number one, I think Sammy Watkins is not that great, but he's much better than like the husk of Des Bryant or right. you know Willie Sneed. He's got more juice as a slot receiver than Willie Sneed does. Um, a guy like Miles Boykin is a prospect I like, but he's not really a good fit with Lamar because he's more of an outside the lines, like vertical wide receiver. I really think that Bateman just immediately comes in and brings legitimacy to this to this receiver core because he's a great route runner, and a great technician. And I think that when, if you take sort of that like optimistic view of Bateman, it should make you more excited about this Ravens passing attack. And I know, like I said, the whole COVID thing is a little bit, you know, not the, not the tenor you want to see a player start with. I mean, my guy Curtis Samuel just landed himself on, on the COVID list while he's also right. on the PUP list. Like that's two lists you don't want to be on to start training camp. But yep. nevertheless, um, I still have Lamar as my quarterback one this year. I just finished my, my tears. I think that he could easily have, Another thousand yard rushing season, and if Bateman brings this efficiency to it, I, I think there's a lot to be excited about with this passing game, which seems weird to say. 
Oh, yeah, 100%. Because we just watched, uh, I think, almost the same way that we're looking at uh, which situation, maybe like Josh Allen and like the way that his like efficiency completely popped up. It's like we're almost like watching it in reverse, right? Because we just watched Lamar Jackson, 9% touchdown rate in 2019, dips down to about 6.9% in 2020, which is still well above the league average. So it's like, what are we expecting here with the additions of these receivers? They bring in Sammy Watkins, so on and so forth. We're talking, we're hearing about J.K. Dobbins actually being involved in the passing game. So how do we really see Lamar Jackson falling even further from that here in 2021? If anything, it's one of those plays where you try and buy the dip as much as possible. Because think about where where we drafting Lamar Jackson last year, right? It was like the third round or something like that. Now he's like behind uh, Kyler. He's almost like, I think in some cases you can find him behind Dak Prescott. I mean, he's quarterback five, quarterback six in some places. So it's like, we know that he can still make it on the ground, but also if he adds more efficiency with the guys that we've just talked about, I mean, if we're looking at a, let's say a third and five, third and six, third and seven play, who do we think that target's going to go to? That's going to go to Bateman, either him or Mark Andrews, one of the two. But at the very least, we can see Bateman being that guy to convert some of those longer down and distance plays that they need in order to extend drives. And that's really where that value will all tie back to Lamar. It'll all bring him back into that top two, top three QB position that we expect him to be at. So I'm really excited to see like what they bring to the fold this season in Baltimore, because I think Lamar Jackson, he can really tie it all together and get back to that QB one uh, position that he was at just a year beforehand. I love the Josh Allen example, even if it's not like a perfect one to one, because obviously like Josh Allen, you know, he kind of took that leap. We're like almost in a way expecting um, Lamar to get back up to the height, you know, that he was at or or even take another jump. So it's not quite a one to one thing, but it's sometimes like it digs was another guy last year. Same thing. I was saying, like, he's a transformative player, like. This is a guy that's the best separator in the NFL. I think he's going to make his life easier on a quarterback. Like, it's just one of those things. Bateman, obviously, is a rookie. He's not Stefan Diggs, but could have a similar uh, effect there on this passing game. So I love talking about that one. Let's move to Green Bay. The drama is over-ish, right? Oh, like, or at, yeah. least, at least put on hold. Like, right. at least we're going to revisit this thing at the end of the year. There's, I guess there's like a non-zero percent chance, too, that Rodgers actually enjoys his year in Green Bay. The coaching staff, like, and you know, they get a lot. I mean, well, he's never really had a problem with the coaching staff, but like the front office, you know, they already are admitting that we made this Randall Cobb trade to just appease Aaron, um, which I appreciate the honesty, Brian, Brian G. I appreciate it, Gutekunst. Like, that's great. Maybe this whole thing with Rodgers can actually get smoothed over during the course of the regular season or they win a ring or something like that. Who knows? Either way. The Packers trade for Randall Cobb. Does this move the needle for you at all in Green Bay? I mean, Randall Cobb, like it's it's seems crazier um, than anything. Does this move the needle for you at all in Green Bay? And uh, does the, his departure in Houston do anything for you there? Not particularly. I mean, Randall Cobb, like we know the role that he's going to play once he gets back into Green Bay. Right? There's really no question about if he's going to be playing along the perimeter. I mean, over the past couple of seasons, he's been, what, 74, 75% of his routes like running from the slot. So if anything, it pushes guys like Alan Lazard, who we saw about like 55% in the slot like last season. It might kick him out to the perimeter. Uh, but guys like Amari Rogers, who I know that uh, reading some of your work over at RP yet again, uh, I know that he profiled as the guy 
had to kind of pick up that Randall Cobb role. But with Randall Cobb coming back, we'll see like how much work we'll see for Amari uh, Rogers here in his rookie season. But regardless, it doesn't really move the needle a ton. If anything, almost similar to what we're talking, what we were talking about with Bateman to Lamar Jackson, it just Randall Cobb to Aaron Rodgers. It just it provides more efficiency to that, to that offense. We know that Aaron Rodgers he trusts Randall Cobb. We know that Randall Cobb has been able to come up big in the right situations in order to actually continue moving that Green Bay offense. So if I had any question marks about that GB offense, like moving into twenty twenty one, right? Because we saw just like insane efficiency from Aaron Rodgers in 2020. I mean, they were top three, top five in almost every uh, efficiency metric uh, for um, offensive yards per drive to EPA per play, like so on and so forth. So can they sustain it here in 2021 with these pieces and everything they've added? It's entirely possible. And I think Randall Cobb is what continues to keep Aaron Rodgers efficient because after the news dropped that he was coming back to Green Bay. You saw his ADP immediately get bumped up. I think he's now being drafted as like the quarterback eight, which is to me, it's like you're pricing in the fact that the 2020 season is going to occur again. So I can see that happening, but it's just, you need the guys like Randall Cobb to like, to really make those plays. Like, because really, are we going to be relying on Marquez Valdez Scantling to bring in some of those yeah. deep touchdowns. Like, like, you know, those are 50, 50 balls that Rogers throwing to him. Alan Lazard staying healthy for another. It's like all those other things now with Cobb coming back, at least gives me more confidence in Rogers than anything else. Yeah. I think that's a big deal. I also think too, like part of the reason they took Amari Rogers and I think basically they could just push pause. Maybe not though. Maybe Amari Rogers still gets a lot of work in it as a rookie. I, I, I tend to doubt it, but um, it does seem like they're using him in this exact capacity in training camp. Maybe they just push pause on the Amari uh, Rogers thing, and then they just drop Randall Cobb into this role. I think that you could look at him as maybe the the guy to take that like motion man thing to the next level. You know, like mm, they've been yeah. using guys like Tyler Irvin in this role. You know, someone who's just like not a threat at all. Uh, maybe Cobb just slides right into that the plans that they, maybe they had for Amari Rodgers. It's clear that they want that. And there, like I said, there's even been some whispers out of training camp that they're already using Rodgers in that way. So I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a non-zero percent chance that he's a routine factor, but I'm not excited about it. I think the question does come back to Rodgers. So you're going to kind of, you're going to take the stand that he's like not overvalued, but like there's some aggressiveness to where he's being drafted. I kind of agree with that. Also, like people don't talk about this enough with Rodgers. His rushing work has started to decline as well, you know, and like you basically are going to have to have him if he's going to be a top five quarterback again, you're going to basically have to ask him to be as hyper efficient as he was last year. And that is kind of aggressive. Right. And that's the thing that I'm actually working on an overvalued piece over on over 444 right now. And that's one of the concerns that I have with the Green Bay offense in that unless you're throwing at one of like the highest neutral passing rates in the league. So think of like Tampa Bay, who finished, I believe, like fourth overall neutral passing rate. Uh, The Bills, going back to like the Josh Allen discussion, who was also like top five in terms of neutral passing rate. Unless you've got the volume to kind of lean back on, it's really difficult to sustain that high efficiency year over year. And Green Bay, they were, I believe, like 16th or 17th. 17th in neutral passing rate last year, despite being you know, top of the league and uh, across all like across all the efficiency metrics. So unless Matt LaFleur is just going to like essentially hand the keys over to Rogers and just say, hey, buddy, like glad you're back. Uh, just yeah. go ahead and take, you know, take us to another like NFC championship game or Doubt something it. like that. I don't see that happening. So if they continue this balanced attack, 
we really would have to expect it, like that high end efficiency from Rogers, which is hard to duplicate year over year. So that's my that's my general concern. But again, if you're playing against what the Lions twice per year, Chicago, who's like defense, like while their front is still decent, mm. their corners are aging. I mean, so I can see how they can just kind of luck box their way like back into having such an high like a high efficiency season. But again, we just it's hard to duplicate something like that year over year. Totally agree. Um, one player I do think is undervalued from, uh, and I feel like I've talked about this a little bit lately. Uh, you know, who knows? All the shows start to kind of run together. One Packers player that I think is a little undervalued is AJ Dillon. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that like the fantasy world kind of counted it twice with AJ Dillon, where like there was all this enthusiasm for AJ Dillon that Aaron Jones was going to leave, he was going to go be a Miami Dolphin. And then we were going to launch AJ Dillon up the board. Obviously that didn't happen. And it feels like we pushed him down like one more time. Like, but if he just walks into Jamal Williams old role, there's going to be some like to use an old football guy's term. There's going to be in that. (laughs) What the heck flex territory. If he just gets Williams workload. So he's going to have some weekly, some weekly usability there. So he's not just going to be a total like Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison, like burn a hole in your bench type of guy. Um, but then he also still has the massive upside. If something happens to Aaron Jones, then this offense that even if it's not going to be as efficient as it was last year, it's still going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. Then he's the workhorse for that team. Pretty exciting. I don't know. Where, where are you at with a guy like A.J. Dillon who, when he's on the board there in that like late eighth, ninth round, I have a tough time not drafting him every single time. I'm 100% with you on that one. And I've been starting to take him more and more in best ball drafts specifically for that reason. Because if you compare him to some of the other RB2s that are currently going in that range, it's hard to justify taking, like, or to pass on Dylan and take some of those guys. Like, think about, like you mentioned, like Tony Pollard. Do we really see him having standalone value week to week now with Zeke back and looking completely cut in some of those videos we've been seeing and him oh, dropping yeah. all that weight and whatnot? Or even like a guy like Kenyon Drake that I think goes around, like, goes around that time frame. Alexander Madison, I think it might be going a little bit later, but it's like that like glob of rb2s i think dylan really seems to shine the most because we know that like despite the fact that however much we love aaron jones we do know that matt lafleur likes to sub him out we watched jamal williams get brought in on the goal line i don't know how many times like last season yeah it's like people forget all the all the whining that they like all these aaron jones like managers like did they all forget all the whining that they do all year when jamal williams gets plugged in there you think they're not just going to take aj Dillon, who's like a juiced up version of jamal williams just stick him right in there i don't know man It, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense that even after last year like i get it right we don't want to double count the fact that like he won like he didn't catch a ton of passes, but I know that the reports out of training camp are saying that he's now getting involved in the passing game with Rodgers there. The one time that he did look good was in that one snow game against Tennessee, which like it was for me being like, you know, the quote unquote weather guy. I mean, of course I try and take some of that stuff with a grain of salt, but still, yeah, I mean, sure. he still looked good. Like in that, in that particular, in, a, in that particular game, but we know that at least that role as that number two guy behind Aaron Jones is fruitful for fantasy. So if we know at least on a week to week standpoint, we can count on a number of touches with his size. We know that goal line rushes should be in the equation. Why not take a guy like that and just ride, ride some of those like spike weeks that we know should be a part of, should be a part of his portfolio, like especially considering if we assume that the Packers offense is going to be just like as legit good as it best, was last year. Great best ball pick, right? I mean, perfect for best ball because you, you oh, do yeah. have that season long yeah. upside, but again, he's not 
Tony Pollard. He's not burning that hole in your in your uh, best ball portfolio the whole time you're sitting there. All right, let's move on. Exactly. Let's talk Dolphins here for a second because they've got some. They're. I'll admit, Chris, they're a receiver core that I've kind of struggled to figure out. Um, I've landed on being higher than consensus on Will Fuller and maybe like with consensus on uh, Jalen Waddle and then like forget Devonte Parker. <laughs> but I don't know if I'm right about that, right? Like, so right now, Preston Williams, uh-huh. Devonte Parker, those guys are on PUP and shout out to Will Fuller. He was injured on Wednesday. What a shock there. <laughs> it was just a matter of time. Uh, the bird alert, sound the sirens. He's been making some catches, deep catches from old Tua there. The guy who apparently can't throw down the field been making those deeper catches from uh, Tua in training camp. Where are you at with the Dolphins in this? Can you help me figure out this receiver core? Because I don't really know. Like, this is a big jump for Tua. He's going from, like, throwing to preseason guys. Like, legit, legit the stone worst, yeah. like, skill position group out there last year. To suddenly, this trio could be very good with Fuller, Parker, and uh, Jalen Waddle whenever he gets rolling. Right. And that to me, that's the thing. I've also, I've also been struggling with it because on paper, I mean, this off, this receiving core is legit, right? After last season, when we watched like Ryan Fitzpatrick and like Antua himself having to battle it out with what Jakeem Grant, well, Mac yeah. Collins, I mean, throwing like, like ten those passes guys to Lynn Bowden because they have to. <laughs> and Lynn Bowden, yeah, exactly. So it's just like it's hard for me to reconcile like what they what Tua's rookie season was with now what it could be now like with what you mentioned. I mean, they bring in his old buddy like Jalen Waddle. They bring in Will Fuller. Devonte Parker, regardless of what you think of him, at least he has been able to produce like down there. So on paper, it looks good. But now every day, if you hear something about a Miami Dolphins wide receiver, it it, it comes with an injury report. Devonte Parker lives on, on PUP. Even Jalen Waddle today apparently collapsed in a heap during practice after like with some sort of, yeah with an ankle injury on the same side that would that he had to have surgery on which is apparently according to edwin portis uh, over at fantasy point said it's the same surgery that michael thomas had to undergo so it's like it's Ugh. so it's and that's it, going great oh yeah and that's going so well yeah exactly so it's like all these things now like what do we think about tua well Assuming health, we'll see like how the rest of the offseason goes for the Dolphins. Assuming health, I'm 100% like in on Tua th- this season. Because for better or worse, Tua was at least efficient as a quarterback. I mean, even from like if you go to a, like a metrics-based standpoint, from an EPA per play standpoint, he was at least efficient. He was just behind actually uh, Justin Herbert. Uh, in terms of all rookies last season who threw like over like over 150 passes just behind Herbert in terms of efficiency. It was just that we saw it in spurts, right? Because he was getting yanked for Fitzpatrick like in that Raiders game, which was absolutely wild. Uh, he wasn't connecting on some of the downfield passes, but again, he was throwing to Jakeen Grant, Matt Collins, the rest of those dudes. So it's hard to, con- it, like it's, we have to contextualize the situation. But despite the fact that Tua wasn't at least a fantasy star, he was at least a decent NFL quarterback or at least above league replacement level NFL quarterback. So now with the increase in his situation, assuming again all the guys, all the receivers are healthy, I can see Tua at least being a part of those guys, those quote unquote like breakout candidates for this year. I mean, he's going so deep in drafts. Why not take a shot on a guy that on the receivers that we're, you know, we're all hyped for. I mean, if it's not Will Fuller, some folks are hyped for Waddle. Some folks are still hyped for Parker because he's coming at a decent value in drafts. I mean, if we're hyped about all those guys, even Mike Kosicki, I mean, if we're hyped for all those guys, Miles Gaskins, 
then we should at least be somewhat enthusiastic about Tua. I, it might be because some folks are still monitoring the Deshaun Watson situation. But either yeah. way, if it still winds up being Tua, I mean, I'm, I'm 100% behind him like another year removed from his hip surgery. Yeah, I think people are too hard on Tua. I've said that basically all offseason. And I think he is one of those late guys that um, could be a breakout player. So I, I like that a lot. Um, let's go into your other breakout quarterbacks uh, here, Chris. I don't know if you have any other training camp headlines that like really caught your attention. I'm trying to like stay away from those as much as possible, except for the CeeDee Lamb highlights. I mean, I got oh, I, 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 I to get into some of those, man. Like, it's just, it's too much for me to, because, well, I know that he's one of your favorite guys, but I mean, just being able to see not just the athleticism, like the one-handed catches, like blah, 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 but it's just seeing his evolution as a receiver, yeah. seeing him move like from the slot to being able to play more outside. I mean, it's just wheels up for, for him as being one of like the premier wide receivers in the league for many, many years to come. At least that's my hope. And being attached to like Dak Prescott, assuming Dak Prescott's shoulder is okay. But other than that, like I'm just excited to see what CeeDee Lamb can bring to the table here. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to rank him this way. I'm not going to draft him this way. But there should be like 0% surprise if CeeDee Lamb ends up being a top five receiver this year. I would right? not be like, surprised I mean, in the slightest. He probably doesn't have the target total in his range of outcomes that he'd need to be like a top three guy at the position because Cooper will eventually get back out there. Michael Gallup is still too good of a player. I think they're going to throw the ball to Zeke a decent amount, but I mean, Lamb is just, he, he profiles as that type of guy heading into his second year. And the fact that like, thank you, Mike McCarthy, all I asked for, all I asked for coming into this offseason was let's get C.D. Lamb out of this like very narrow slot receiver role and get him rolling vertically. So, yes, no, we should take a few moments because this is not going to stop, by the way. We should take a few moments every podcast to just say, like, yes, C.D. Yes. Lamb, it's justified, fire it up. We're going we're going ahead with the C.D. Lamb thing. It's not the it's not the training camp highlights. It's more so the reports that he's like playing all over the field, which yes. is what we really want to see. The guy is an unbelievable player. Uh, but anyways, switching back gears there to sort of some breakout quarterbacks. You mentioned Tua. Um, I know you just wrote a piece on this as well. Who are like two or three other guys? And we can go one by one. We could diagnose sort of other players in the offense as well. Who are like two other guys that you're really looking forward to as breakout players at the quarterback position? Because it's a position that we kind of tend to overlook because we think, oh, you know, we can just stream these guys, and that is generally true. But with the rushing factor that some of these guys have, there is an advantage to, you know, that's why these some of these guys like Kyler and Josh Allen are getting pushed up the board. Right. So then who are we looking at maybe later on? So one of the other guys I'm looking at later on is actually looking at your board behind you. Are you a Washington fan now? I might be a Washington fan now <laughs> yeah, because, buddy. because of Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been one of the like streaming quarterback targets for the past couple of seasons. Like whether he was when he was in Tampa Bay, I mean, completely setting the world on fire with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. I mean, now he's moved over to Washington. And honestly, what's the difference in that situation in Tampa Bay than what he now has in Washington? He now has a just a premier wide receiver core. I mean, minus Curtis Samuel. Hopefully he's back and like, you know, practicing with him soon. But Terry McLaurin we know is going to be one of those other like dominant yeah. wide receivers. Logan Thomas, if you want to talk about Logan, Th I mean, tight ends for a second. I mean, the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia, Logan oh, Thomas. I, had to, I knew I had to bring him <laughs> up because that's your hometown boy. But I mean, it's just, we saw him start to break out from the tight end position last season as well. Everybody's still excited about Antonio Gibson. So it's just like the surrounding talent now, it like it brings about like that portion of Ryan Fitzpatrick's game that we're, we get really excited about. 
I mean, even when he was in Miami last year and we were talking about the guys that he was throwing to, now what, what are we going to expect when you put him with Terry McLaurin and all the rest of those guys? And so I'm excited to see like what he does now being integrated into a Scott Turner and like Ron Rivera like type offense. Because after the, I mean, the schemes of like offensive gameplay that they had to call when you've got what? Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, the ghost of Alex Smith. I mean, you almost have to think it's almost like what uh, Matt Nagy has had to do with like Mitch Trubisky and those guys. Like basically you're calling games with like one hand tied behind your back because you're just completely limited by your quarterback play. That's not the case with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Absolutely not. So that's one of the guys that like, even I know some folks have some concern about the defense. It's like, oh, well, because they have such good defense, he's going to be limited or whatever. No, 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 no. That's really not how it works. I mean, because if that was how, if defenses were the reason why good quarterbacks didn't exist, I mean, okay, then that means we were never drafting any of the Steelers guys. We're not drafting any of the Baltimore guys. We're not drafting any of the LA Rams guys. Like that's not how it works, people. So I'm still all aboard like the Ryan Fitzpatrick train, like even despite the fact that he's got a good defense and they've got a pretty decent schedule too, if I'm remembering correctly. So sign me up for any of those Washington dudes for sure. Yeah. I mean, four games against Dallas and Philadelphia. I'm, I'm, I like, I like that, right. You know, that, that, that's good. Especially Dallas. They'll have to get into a little bit of a shootout affair there. I think too, like, yeah, of course the defense is going to limit the volume of passes in the offense, but like the efficiency can still be there. And that's what you really want out of these breakout quarterbacks. Like I do think it's worth worrying about, Two guys I've been freaking out about later, like not freaking out about. I don't freak out about this stuff. I have a life. Like <laughs> um, the two things that like I, guys have been kind of going back and forth on with, and like I'm not sure I feel are the Denver guys, right? Because that's a situation where the volume could affect the receivers there, and that's not a non-crowded offense. Like in Washington, they've got good players like Logan Thomas, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, but that's really you know that's really it. Like maybe Deami Brown gets involved. We'll see about that. Like. That's really the three guys. And obviously, Antonio Gibson, we want him to catch some more passes this year, too. But you go to Denver, their team is going to play with the top five defense, and they have a non-aggressive quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater. And then you're looking at the volume being depressed for guys like Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Tim Patrick, Noah Fan, and a running back that everybody's really excited about. Like That's a tough tree to break down. I don't think it exists. I don't think the same pessimism should exist in Washington, especially for Fitzpatrick. I mean, apparently he's in a quarterback competition with Taylor Heineke. I don't know. About Get out of here with that. Yeah. If he's in a competition with Taylor Heineke, he's going to win that competition, right. right? Like that's the way I that's the way I look at it. So um, I am still with you, hundred percent. Washington want to be ahead of the curve on that offense. Want Curtis Samuel out there? Like let's let's just like, Curtis Samuel. Let's just get better. Let's just get rolling. Um, I'm excited about that. Um, who's another quarterback maybe that we should keep an eye on as a breakout candidate? So like the last guy that I want to talk about, and I know that it's one guy that nobody really cares about. It's an offense that everybody thinks is stagnant, but I do have to give a shout out to Derek Carr, like real quick. Mm. Honestly, last season, top 10 in terms of efficiency, uh, EPA per play from, uh, from the quarterback position. Like that was, that was where Derek Carr like finished like last season, which is actually absolutely surprising because we think of the Las Vegas Raiders, I mean, we think about like the memes of like John Gruden and all the rest of that stuff, like Spider Y2 Banana, like all, all that stuff. So it's just, it's hard for me to like, wrap my head around the fact that Derek Carr, he was actually an inefficient passer. So the hope is though, like coming into the 2021 season, that 
one, they get our boy like Smokey Brown involved, like yes, right, like right yeah. quick and early. He brings like some of that, like the, some of those intermediate routes that we know that Derek Carr could really like flourish under. But also I want to see what they do with Henry Ruggs like this year, because when he was at Alabama, it was like he was used on screens. He was used on drags. He was used on just get the ball in his hands and then let him use his speed in order to outrun the rest of the defenders. Didn't see any of that like from him in his rookie season. If they start to actually create a more diverse route tree, like for Henry Ruggs, like here in his second season, wheels up like for that entire offense. And I can almost, I, the way that I'm thinking about it, again, assumption of rational coaching, they need that. After all of the yes. offensive linemen that they jettisoned like at the beginning of this season, I mean, it's just how do you not take your first round selection and turn him into the alpha, like the primary option, like in your receiving game? It makes no sense. So I, that's that's the hope or that's the assumption I'm making for Derek Carr and for the rest of that Raiders offense. But regardless, I still think that Derek Carr can wind up still being at least a guy that he's being drafted back end of like all the quarterbacks, probably around like where like Ben Roethlisberger and like some of those other guys are being selected. So if you are really in a pinch so from the quarterback position, I, Derek Carr could be a guy that can wind up like pulling out of a jam. I mean, if we're, again, if we're excited about Rugs in his second year, John Brown like coming over, Darren Waller. I mean, as a, like as another tight end prospect. I mean, who's now cemented himself into like the big three for uh, for tight ends. Why not also be excited about the guy that's going to be throwing them passes in Derek Carr? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I struggled with Carr in my quarterback tiers because I had him, you know, around like twenty or something, which is lower than where he finished last year. But it's just, I think he might outproduce that season long wise. Yeah, it's just there's no like, see, I don't know that there's any ceiling there for Derek Carr. I think that, like, in a best case, I think last year was like a best case scenario for him, like efficiency wise. You know, there's the volume's never truly going to be there because Gruden is a pretty conservative coach that, you know, they play pretty slow. They run the ball a lot. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, um, that's my one one worry about it. But I yeah. get that the explosive play should be there because why can't John Brown, like, do exactly what Nelson Aguilar did last year? But better. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That That's essentially <laughs> where I'm at. And, of course, if you're playing against, what, the Chiefs twice a year, the Chargers twice yeah. a year, how else are you going to keep up with offenses that we know are explosive and we know they're going to be putting be up, playing, yeah. yeah, 25, 30 points per game? I mean, they they something's got to give with that. Totally. All right. I wanted to hit on a few of your piece, your guys from your piece that you just wrote, some July ADP risers and fallers and best ball drafts. First one I want to talk about, we just talked about Nelson Aguilar. Jacoby Myers. I love this uh, here. I, I'm a big Jacoby Myers guy. I have not talked about him very much. I have not put him on receptionperception.com for a reason we talked about before we started the podcast that we will not revisit here. <laughs> Oh boy. Uh, Jacoby Myers. I think that they're like the gap all off season between Myers and Nelson Aguilar didn't really make a lot of sense to me. And I like Nelson Aguilar, like as a vertical player, I think they found a really good role for him in, in Las Vegas last year, but man, I think Jacoby Myers gets open. I think that matters a lot. I also think like any analysis that Look at the contract New England gave Nelson Aguilar. He's obviously their wide receiver yeah. one. It's like, well, mm -hmm. listen, they had to just – they overpaid so much for this guy and for Kendrick Bourne because they just had to get some warm bodies in there. Right. Because Nikhil Harry ain't it, and he thinks he's going to get traded. I don't know about that. And they had, like, nothing on the depth chart after Jacoby Myers. I don't know. I think Myers has done enough to potentially be this team's number one wide receiver. And if they move to, like, an up-tempo pass attack with, uh, with Mac Jones – eventually this year which i think is probably going to happen i love cam but i think it's probably going to happen myers could be could be a real beneficiary here 
I, I 100% agree with you. And that's one of the one of the guys like the late round targets for wide receivers in best ball that I've, I've just been trying to pick up as much as I can. Because I don't know about you, man, but when it comes to when like a new talent like comes into onto a team, I'm almost like stubborn in the fact that like, well, I think the guy that he's might that you all think yeah. of replacing him <laughs> is still actually pretty good. So like, why yeah. are we so in, so much in a rush? It's almost like I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but like when Kenny Gainwell got drafted, I was like, hey, Boston Scott isn't all that bad. So like, why are we like all of a sudden like propping? Regardless, Jacoby Myers though, new or, things are always the shiny object. They have to be like for us, like in our you know in our fantasy football bubble. But like Jacoby Myers, I I know that because he was the only like essentially the only game in town like last year, like after Julian Edelman like got hurt, and it was it was essentially just him and a bunch of guys, right? And I can understand, like, if you saw a whole bunch of volume going his way, and you're just like, well, they didn't have anybody else to throw to. Well, okay, but targets are earned. They're not just because there are, yeah. like, because they're just guys, like, running around. Because if he was the only guy there, and he was still, like, rocking, I think, about, like, a 22% target share, why wasn't Nikhil Harry also getting, you know, a 20-plus percent right. target share, right? Because So try and reconcile that, like, real quick before you say that Myers was just a guy. But also, he was efficient with his targets. Uh, pro football focus, uh, one of theirs, like, uh, big metrics is yards per route run, which is actually pretty predictive in terms of future production. Uh, I think Jacoby Myers was eighth. Uh, like in all receivers with more than like 50 targets in terms of yards per route run last season. So not only was he running a diverse route tree, but also efficient with the targets that he was getting and re- and also turning most of that into production as well. And then on top of all that, you have to think he was having some of those spike weeks when Cam Newton was clearly not a good passer. Like yeah. regardless of what you want to ascribe to it, whether it's the shoulder, whether it's the COVID fog, whatever, we knew that Cam Newton was a scattershot quarterback to begin with, so you pile all that other stuff on top of it, but yet Jacoby Myers still shined. So I'm I'm still on board with the fact that Myers could still be like the wide receiver one on that offense, but it's just now going to be the target's going to be more spread out. Now they've added Aguilar and Bourne and Hunter Henry and Johnu Smith and you know James White is still there. So that multiple options are still going to be in that passing game, but Myers is efficient enough to get the job done in my in my perspective for sure. And like in sharper drafts, you know, some sharper best ball drafts, he might eventually like where where's what's his ADP at right now? I mean, you you had it in the piece here, one fifty eight or one fifty five overall. Like, you know, he might eventually get into like the top sixty ish receivers or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, dude, he is not like in your in any like casual redraft draft. This guy's not going to. Nobody's guy's drafting him. Drafted, yeah, you know? I have him aggressively ranked in tier eight, wide receiver forty nine. I really think this guy could be good this year. And I, I think he could be kind of like the player that the wide receiver that really nobody sees coming. And I, I want to be kind of in on Jacoby Myers. I want to just like just earmark him as the last pick in your draft, because I think if somebody's going to have like a ceiling from this passing attack from the receiver perspective, it's going to be a guy that is like a full field player like Jacoby Myers. I mean, Nelson Aguilar was a, I, I liked the Nelson Aguilar signing contract aside. I liked them adding him because yeah. he was like, he just brought like, he's an NFL receiver, you know, like he brought so a verifiable presence there. But if there's an unknown guy who could become a great player out of this passing game, I think it's Myers. I love all the points you made about him. Like those targets were earned last year. Wanted to tap your uh, brain on this one. Because he is the new guy in this passing game. He is the new receiver. Emmanuel Sanders rising up the board a little bit. Um, you mentioned that he's jumped up nearly two rounds amid the offseason news cycle. What do you think it was that sort of had him down to begin with? 
And what do you think has brought him up so far beyond the fact that like uh, his, his, his freedom fighter Cole Beasley has like maybe not been a guy, a guy who doesn't want to play or isn't going to play or something like what is it that has led to Sanders uptick? And do you believe in uh, the value spike here? I believe in the value spike. And I think part of it is that folks are catching on to like how much the bill's uh, offense is predicated on the pass. It's not just the fact that they they were passing at one of the highest rates. It's that they were like, the personnel that they were using. I think they were using like four wide receiver sets at like either like the highest or like second highest like rate in the league. Three wide receiver sets like top four in the league according to, like I think it was like according to Sharp Football Analysis. So it's like he's going to be out there regardless of what you think about like his age, like how far, like how much he can currently separate, so on and so forth. Because he's what his twelfth season in the league, if I'm not mistaken. So it's like. Even if he's, time, yeah. yeah, exactly. But like, not, to, I mean, but still, like, Cole Beasley's been in the league about just as long as he has, but still. Yeah. Regardless, it's what, like, his past production and, like, any of his stops, like, even from Pittsburgh to the Broncos, like, to San Francisco, now coming all the way back east uh, to Buffalo, he's been one of those, like, reliable pass catchers at each one of his stops. So you got to think about, like, what he meant to Ben Roethlisberger, Peyton Manning, and then even. In that uh, in the championship uh, championship game, like with Jimmy Garoppolo, yep. I mean, it's just like yep. he's been that dude, right? Like he's been a part of some of those like memorable offenses, and still been able to create separation, still been able to produce on limited uh, in a limited role. And now I think the Bills' offense provides that perfect like niche spot like for him like he can still work in the slot if he needs to across from Cole Beasley assuming they run four wide and even if Cole Beasley happens to miss time for whatever reason he can still also, yeah exactly whatever reason uh he can still wind up like uh actually like working within the slot like there as well because that is one of the areas of the field like intermediate area of the field that Josh Allen actually winds up like looking for like when he's scrambling or anything like that so it's just that's the perfect role for him. And so with like being attached to the Bills offense, I think if you're in a draft right now, I think at least for my, for my money, if I'm in any sort of best ball draft, I'm leaving my draft with at least one Chiefs player and one Bills player and probably one uh, 49ers player if I can help it. Because we just know nice. those offenses are going to be those high efficiency offenses that are going to wind up ending up benefiting our, uh, benefiting our fantasy squad. So for, uh, for Sanders specifically, He's in the perfect role that Josh Allen needs on a good offense. So I don't like I can actually easily see his ADP continuing to rise as we get into like the preseason and closer to the regular season starting. And your uh, shiny new thing theory actually could work in a way here, too. And like I think I don't think Gabe Davis is ready to be that guy. I think Gabe Davis is like a vertical threat only at this point. Good player, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, he's good in that role, right? right? But I think he needs to be in that role. He needs to stay there for a little while longer. I mean, there was – didn't he have, like, a 0% catch rate in, like, several of the playoff games yeah, this year? Yeah, Like, you know what I mean? That's not all his fault. I, I'm not going to be ever be the guy that, like, aspires catch rate to to a wide receiver. Like, that's why I do what yeah. I do, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not that guy. But at the same time, I think it's emblematic of the player that he is right now that he's a bit hit or miss. Sanders is anything but hit or miss. He's very consistent, very reliable. And I think, like – I think the sort of – there's, like, an ADP correction right now going on where – Gabe Davis was so far up ahead of Sanders, and now they're sort of starting to levelize, levelize and I think that is worth it because Gabe Davis is like industry-wise the shiny new thing, but right. Sanders I think still has a couple of um, good years left in him. Uh, Chris, were there any other standouts from your ADP risers and fallers piece that you wanted to hit in on before we get to your specialty, which is 
the weather? <laughs> uh, the one guy that I, I'm still trying to wrap my head around and for the rest of the season is actually the fall of Denzel Mims. So like after yeah. <laughs> after his rookie season, like there have been like literal articles have been written about guys that have escaped the, you know, just the, the Adam Gase stench. Right. And I'm hoping that that is actually the like that winds up being the case for Mims, because the way he was deployed on the field, we saw it work in spurts. It actually he I think he wound up hitting on a decent touchdown like from Joe Flacco, I think when Flacco wound up starting like last year. But. Right. I think he's more like he that contested catch, like, you know, jump ball type of deployment, which this Mims calling card. We don't know how well that's going to fit in a Robert Sala, like West Coast, like style offense. And so I get that. That's why they wound up drafting Elijah Moore, like one of your guys. Uh, they yep. brought in like Corey Davis, Keelan Cole. I mean, like, all that other stuff. So I can understand like why those guys are pretty much going to be the ones that are controlling that offense. But at least for me, with Zach Wilson, like, can we wind up seeing Mims like resurge and be like one of those like you know deep threats or clear out guys like for Zach Wilson? It's possible. Zach Wilson was an aggressive quarterback when he was still at BYU, so I could see him kind of rotating in and like hitting for a couple of touchdowns. Like Mims winds up being actually one of those guys that's like better in best ball because he that we know the stat line that he's going to wind up having. Right? It's either going to be like two for twenty or six for 120 in a touchdown. Like that's really like, there's probably not going to be like nowhere in between. It's like the old Deshaun Jackson stat lines. So if you are like kind of sitting there like late in, late in drafts and trying to looking for a guy that you think could wind up, you know, giving you a few spike weeks, like Mims kind of profiles as that guy that can wind up, you know, giving you a few weeks where, you know, he winds up in the top 24. You take that production on your best ball, on your best ball league. And then you're just happy with that at the end of the year. Yeah, I just feel like it's going to be a rotation there. You know, those guys are all going to be like rotating in and out. I like, is Corey Davis even like a true? I don't think he's a true number one. Like, and they didn't even pay him like he's a true number one. He's like the 18th something best or highest paid receiver in yeah. the NFL. You know, they took a guy in the second round. Keelan Cole, like, Keelan Cole, I don't want like in the Denzel Mims saga for it to get lost that like Keelan Cole is a pretty good player. Yeah. Like, Keelan Cole is oh, like, yeah. an NFL verifiable NFL receiver. So the point that like, I think they kind of go five deep right now between Davis, Moore, Cole, Mims, Crowder. Like I could see all those guys sort of averaging around like five targets a game or something, you know, like something like that, which isn't going to be great for fantasy. Could be good for best ball, but uh, I just, I haven't given up com- like completely given up hope on Denzel Mims yet, but right. I don't, you know, we'll see what happens basically is, is where uh, is where I'm at with him. All right, Chris, let's let's talk about your specialty here. The last little bit we'll do in the podcast. You are one of the smart people out there that every time goofballs like me are asked, how do you make it in the industry? I'm like, well, number one, get really lucky. Number two, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, like find something that stands out. You know, for me, it was receivers for you. I think you've been great about sort of honing in on this weather um like the weather analysis part of it because similar with receivers my logic with receivers like why somebody need to isolate them from other variables is that there's like a lot of bad narratives and bad analysis around the receiver position right and that is certainly the case there's certainly a lot of weather narratives i mean i hate i live in la so like i don't actually experience weather (laughs) but i hate i hate the weather anyways because on twitter for like a good stretch of the season there is nothing but like, oh, my God, the weather. Oh, my God, snow, this, that, and the other during a good portion of the season. So how much of that is true and how much of that is 
just narratives. Tell us what we should really care about when it comes to weather. So the only thing that you should really care for weather are the extreme situations. And like by extreme situations, I mean, uh, what was it? The Cleveland game in weeks uh, 10 and 12, like when like we really saw yes. like the wind starting to kick up past like 25 miles an hour. Or if we're talking about snow, you need to be able to visibly see the snow like heaped up on the field. So not even like uh, any like the dustings that you might see uh, once. Uh, I think it was like the Green Bay Carolina game, if not last year, than the year beforehand. Uh, but it's like yeah. that that sort of stuff. Like if it's just if you can still see the field, don't worry about it. Uh, rain heavy rain that's that's what we really need to see like in order for us to really start to account for any sort of like bad conditions on the field that might actually change the outcome of the game so the one that still comes back to my mind it was either like week seven or week nine it was uh, washington against san fran this was during the 2019 season where it was just like an absolute deluge um uh and like oh the, yeah, yeah the, nick like, bosa was yeah, like sliding, sliding yeah. through the grass at the end of the game yes, like yeah. that that game like instead like the game was like it was like 10 to nothing at the end of the game if i'm not mistaken like either 10 to nothing seven to nothing something along those lines like those are the situations where we need to actually start to care but if somebody comes up to you with a report that's just like yeah it's going to be 17 miles an hour so i need to sit Devontae adams like just no absolutely not just stop it that's that's ridiculous a lot of those narratives are built off of like those extreme cases and so people try and extrapolate like what the like normal or like you know median cases are going to be and just try and make their decisions based off of that not the best way to go about doing it so really unless for wind yes if it's above 20 miles 20 miles an hour that's when i'll start to care and that's when i'll actually start to splice it even farther because I'm one of those like weirdos that like really dives into it. And I've, I've gotten like, I've done, dude, I've done this whole other, like I've gone like so far into it. I've started looking at like how tall the stadiums are because like in my, oh, my background wow. as an, as an engineer, like I've actually been using like uh, computational fluid dynamics in order to figure out like, okay, well the stadium's this high. That means like down here on the field, it's going to actually block the wind so much so that you're not going to really feel anything like all that other stuff. So that's how deep like I've gone into it. But really, that's that's really what we need to concern ourselves with. Uh, so for wind in particular, uh, what I've actually found is that, yeah, the extreme situations are what you need to find. Because for the most part, the games, like from a betting perspective, games that are played in like those types of conditions, they tend to hit the over, like on like at least like 54, 55%. They still wind up hitting the over for rain, similar conditions, snow, similar conditions. So until you start to see like actual changes like on the field like you're seeing water pulling up in the field trash or something like that just like completely blowing across the field there's really nothing that you really have to worry about in terms of making alterations to your lineup trying to find other games that you want to invest in like for dfs purposes or things of that nature it's really just the extreme cases you have to find out and if there is any minutiae that needs to get involved in it that's when i typically you'll you'll see a tweet fed from me like yes because at this elevation and because the you know the azimuth of the field is so far like you don't have to worry about it I try and dig it. I dig into all that stuff to try and dispel most of those rumors on a week to week basis. Yeah. Well, so basically, the one big thing there is everybody out there needs to be following at Chris Allen FFWX. Yes, sir. Be doing that. Be doing that for you. So when you see other chuckleheads out there, other goofball fantasy analysts being like, there's weather, there's rain, <laughs> there's wind, you actually can go find somebody that you're talking about. My second thing is here, Chris, are you, what are you like? You should be. Whether it's football guy, like go pitch this to all of your 20 employers and just whichever one's going to pay you the most money to do it, 
go to that one. If someone's not doing it already, if someone, if Joe Bryant's already getting you to do this, like I will apologize personally to Joe. Cause <laughs> but <laughs> one of these people should have you like just on a live stream every Sunday morning and like just doing the wet, like doing this weather report, because it, I know that like, it's a thing that like some fantasy shows get like a weather person on there. Um, but it's, there's a difference between like, Oh, here's a, here's a, uh, here's a damn weatherman telling me that it's raining. Uh-huh. versus you being able to tell me, yeah, no, shit, it's raining. Sorry. You can bleep that out. No, shit, it's raining. But like, and I did, I said it again, it's raining. <laughs> and, uh, you know what now, now you, this, you, this is what actually matters. Of course it's raining. Now this matters. So right. one of your employers should be having you do that. Like every Sunday morning. That would actually get views as opposed to uh, every other goofball in like their mom's basement live streaming. That's in the, no comment. I'll just say that for right now. All right. Well, yeah. there we go. Yeah. A no comment yeah. means we're, we're thinking on it. So to, like, like yeah. I said, take that to every single one of your employers and whichever one's going to pay you the most money because you deserve the best. That's the one that you uh, that's the one that you do it with. Just be sure once uh, let's see any once week one rolls around, just follow my timeline and you might see something to what you're suggesting. I'll just leave it at that. There. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Or you do it yourself and, you know, you get somebody to sponsor you and then Chris runs it. I mean, listen, yeah. we'll talk offline. We, we'll we, talk offline. You got ideas, this. man. Like you're you're all the way up here, man. Like you, you should be I should be paying you for all this advice, dude. I'll just keep taking the free beer. Uh, but anyways, yeah, no, I love I love the um, examples that you brought up there, like some specific ones. And, you know, the thing, too, that people should also keep in mind about like weather is that weather changes. Right. Like and I think a lot of times what tricks and I'm sure this has to probably drive you crazy is that, you know, like reporters will get to the damn stadium at like 6 a.m. Eastern time because those fellas and ladies are working hard. Oh, yes. Like shout out to the reporters. They get there you know, to Lambeau field or something at like six in the morning. And they take a picture of like the snow covered field, but that's like 6am Eastern that game's not starting till 1pm Eastern. Right. And on top it's, of that, th- things change. And on top of that, Lambeau actually has heated pipes that run the length of the field that actually would help uh, melt some of that snow as quickly as possible. So it's like, see, I did not know this. See, that's part of the, that's part of the research that I've done in order to figure most of this <laughs> stuff out. It's like, Oh, there's snow on the ground. Okay. How much snow and what stadium it's at? Oh yeah. They've got heated pipes. You're good. Same thing with Denver. They've also got the pipes underneath their field in order to do some of that stuff as well. So it's just, that's the level of detail that, that goes into some of the research that I've done so far, because you're absolutely right. Like when reporters do report on those things, it's like you can see, I, I know a number of games that I've watched like out at Gillette Stadium, Foxborough, like where we've seen this, the, the rain continue like pounding down. And I'll just be like, oh, okay. And I'll have people like, you know, tweeting at me and messaging me like, hey, do we need to move off to this game? Like, do we need to go somewhere else? It's like, well, one, when was that when was that uh, when was that picture? When was that video taken at? Well, two, also because of league protocol, uh, you actually uh, the tarps are supposed to be on the field in terms like uh, before, like during inclement weather up to two hours before the game is actually played. So the field itself might not be bad. And then depending on which field it is, it actually might be if it's uh, versus sod, which is actually going to take in most of the most of the rain versus like synthetic, which actually wicks most of that stuff away. It's, so that's where the nuance starts to come in. That's where you actually really start having to ask yourself those specific questions versus just saying, oh, it's raining. 
oh, it's snowing. This game is going to suck. It's going to be like 10 to 7 or something like that by the end of the game. It's going to be awful. It just You really have to contextualize most of the conversations when most of the folks are just going to sit back on their old narratives. Like if it's snowing, we're going to get that, what was it, the Frank Gore versus Reggie Bush, like Buffalo versus, uh, I forget, I think it was like Buffalo in the, um, man, I forget. Um, now it's like I'm missing who the other game was from like maybe two or three years ago. Um, where the Oh, the Colts. Uh, yeah, it was like uh, Buffalo versus the Colts three or four years ago where Frank Gore wound up having just like, you know, 30 or some odd carries or something, uh, something oh, yeah. along those lines. But it's just those are the narratives people fall back on when they hear stuff like that. Totally. My, my snow memory is always the LaShawn McCoy game. where he. Was I remember like, that one too. Yeah. We all, I feel like if anybody's played fantasy, they have to remember that snow game uh, in the last two years. Chris, I feel like I could bounce like 3,000 different weather related questions off of you uh, because I don't know anything about this stuff, but I'll, I'll just end it on this one so that we don't have a two hour long podcast. <laughs> um, like, like just two total dorks talking about weather. Um, I mean, I do, th- I do think people really care about this information. I think people will like, once the season starts, people want to know about this stuff. So again, you just go follow Chris on Twitter and whatever his mystery um weather special Sunday's morning special he's planning to reveal here. You better go figure out where that is. Uh, whoever's paying him the bag for the weather analysis. Last thing I just asked about you, like I guess for daily fantasy, that's probably where I understand like the panic about, you know, the weather and stuff like that. Cause the entire board is open to you, you know, and I guess right. sports betting the same sort of way, but even in scenarios that you would say like, Hey, we're starting to push it in terms of the weather, you know, like we're up that 20 plus mile and like what all this, all the stuff you just read off, like the worrisome weather uh, situations. When do you get to the point? Like what's the threshold for like the level of player that you would really like you would potentially bench in a season long league or something like that? Or is it a case by case basis? Cause my typical thing is usually like, I'm I'm a sucker for like, you know, I, I don't know what scenario is going to exist that I'm going to bench Devontae Adams. I don't know what scenario is going to exist where I'm going to play Derek Carr to a, over Josh Allen, if even if he's in a damn tornado, you know, like <laughs> and I might be and I that might be a weakness in my game. But it's like for me, it's what can you live with? And I can't live with Josh Allen throwing four tornado touchdown passes <laughs> while Tua, you know, had a little check down game that I thought was going to in, in beautiful South Florida sun. So what's like the threshold there and where can you kind of like what advice would you give on that? So for the quarterback position specifically, uh, I would say that, yes, you really do need to be looking at like a tornado style like that, that sort of extreme (laughs) before you start to move around the quarterback position. Because as you all know, I mean, quarterbacks are so difficult to find on a week to week basis so that especially by Sunday morning, your I mean, your quarterback ones are already off the board. They've they've been drafted. Your streamers by that point have typically already been drafted. So it's almost impossible for you to find a decent enough replacement. So, yes, for quarterbacks, unless you know that they're going to be playing in just like those extreme adverse conditions you're rolling with your guy. I mean, I I was one of those folks that even uh, I started, I had to start Baker Mayfield like during one of those win games because I was just stuck in that position. I couldn't even find a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, like Derek Carr, Ben Roethlisberger, like none of those guys were available on my waiver wire. So I just, oh yeah, you're lo- I if you if you're in him. that scenario, you're love you're loving that Ryan Fitzpatrick's on the exactly. waiver. Exactly, you're, you're yeah. so psyched. I I swear to God, I've gotten questions like. 
uh, the weather for this player, but like, should, I guess, should I just pick up Ryan Finley because he's starting this it's week like, instead no. of Joe Burrow? It's like, no, no, <laughs> there is no scenario unless the tornado. By the way, if there's, I keep saying tornado. The tornado has picked up Baker Mayfield, <laughs> and he's. I'm doing the circle tornado motion for for the podcast, folks. Yeah. He's launched out of the stadium, right? Playing. Yeah, that's when you're really stuck in that position. But for wide receivers, because there is some depth of the position, even on the waiver wire, you can talk yourself into a couple of bozos that might be available on your on on the waiver wire. Sure, if you wind up finding that guy. But if you're talking about Devonte Adams, DeAndre Calvin Ridley, like any of those guys, yes, no, I, I'm I'm rolling with my guys because for that in those in those cases. There's nothing to suggest in the data that wide receiver ones are going to wind up losing out on their target share for that particular game. Because like we were talking about earlier, targets are earned. So it's not just because the weather is like the wind's going to be howling or the rain's going to be pouring down that there's going to be just absolutely zero volume for those guys. So you at least have to bank on, at that point, you're banking on talent, which we know that all those wide receiver ones still have. So no, I don't move off for any of those. The wide receiver twos. So like if you're, let's say, stuck with, I don't know, DJ Chark or something like that, and you want to try and find a guy that might be available on your waiver wire, one guy that's sitting on your bench and you want to move off of him, okay, fine. That I can live yeah. with. But yeah, my my threshold or like my tolerance for, for risk is definitely like one that I'm not sitting any of my wide receivers or like my elite players, wide receivers or running backs combined, like for any of the folks that are on my bench or could be available on the waiver wire unless it's in one of those extreme conditions for the most part. That is good to know. That makes me feel a little bit better. And again, yes, try to avoid any tornadoes where yes. Baker, I'm sorry, Baker, I launched you out of the, the tornado thing. Poor guy. All right, Chris, this was awesome. I really enjoyed talking uh, weather with you, which is well, that's weird, right? Like small, <laughs> small talk. Yeah, I love you. Must you? Must, I mean, I'm sure you talk about the weather on like every single podcast you go on. It's like the the topic that most people think is just a default uh, little chitty chat topic. Yeah. Uh, you get to yeah, that's the one. Hey, Chris, come on and let's talk about the weather. Right, exactly. Like, Dad, did you not know that the Cleveland Brown Stadium was 271 feet tall? Because I do, because that's the level of and that <laughs> level of analysis that I get into. But yeah, exactly. Well, you know about the uh, the height of the Cleveland Browns stadium and the knots per spin yeah. of whatever wind <laughs> the thing is going on. I know how many slants and nine routes that Chase Claypool there you go. Uh, ran yeah. last year. So it's all just useless information that right. everyone thinks we're total losers. Any real life person thinks we're total losers for knowing. But the people will be glad that Chris knows about it whenever he reveals. And again, he's at Chris Allen, FFWX. Go ahead and follow him now so that you know about his super secret Sunday project um, that he has to do with the weather. So, Chris, thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate it. While you're waiting for the big reveal of Chris's super secret Sunday weather spectacular, you can check out all the great podcast offerings we have here at Yahoo Sports. Charles Robinson is back with a new NFL-focused podcast called You Pod to Win the Game. On this week's episode, he's joined by Yahoo's Eric Edholm to discuss the quarterback situation in Green Bay and the quarterback situation in Houston. Those are two pretty important things there. If you're looking to make sense of the college football potential realignment, I'm not, but maybe you are. Follow the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. They may be in Tokyo, but they're still covering everything that's going on with college football better than anyone else. 
If you're an NBA fan, you should also be listening to Post It Up with Chris Haynes for more in-depth coverage around the world of the NBA, including one with Chicago Bulls forward Thaddeus Young earlier this week. I also saw the Lakers made a big trade for Russell Westbrook, I think, while we were on the air here. So definitely want to go find out all about that. Meanwhile, I'm Matt Harmon, at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. Again, that's at Chris Allen, FFWX. Thanks again for joining me, Chris. Check us out on Twitter, at Yahoo Fantasy. The Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast starts its grind next week, posting episodes each weekday throughout the NFL season. Things are getting busy, folks. Things are getting electric. Scott will kick things off with a fresh episode on Monday morning, so make sure you're ready for that. Until then, we are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.